What a blessing it is to open God's Word and to have God's Word open us. And uh, I'm, I'm eager to uh, study with you this weekend. Uh, we have been in a series I've called Word On as we look at this center section of the Sermon on the Mount. And there are these 12 topics uh, that are amazing. These are his choice. We're to the eighth topic. And uh, we're going to be looking at the word on prayer. It shouldn't surprise us that prayer is on Jesus' top 12. Uh, it's really important. And when I talk to people, uh, some will say, you know, prayer is the easiest thing I do in my whole life. And there are others who will say, you know, prayer is the hardest thing I ever seek to do in my life. And, and we talk some about the difficulty of private prayer and the difficulty of public prayer. Uh, some people really struggle with public prayer, and Jesus is going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and it's interesting because uh, public speaking is like number one on the things people fear. And so in, in, that means in church circles, public prayer is among the, the things that people are most afraid of. If I say, hey, you, you, you <laughs> pray. <laughs> It, there's a, a bit of terror that enters into that. And so we ritualize prayer. And, uh, and we have these ways of, of trying to, to pray our prayers. Uh, and and it, it's a, a bit of a struggle sometimes for folks. I know people say, I don't know what to say. And some will say, I get distracted. Anybody know what I'm... Some will say, I fall asleep and I feel so bad. And I, I remember recently someone shared, have you ever had a, a child fall asleep in your arms? That's how God feels when you fall asleep praying. So don't worry a bit about it. It's like one of the most wonderful things. So Jesus has some things to say about when, where, and how we pray. And uh, so we're in Matthew chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 5. Let's turn our attention, open our minds and our hearts to the word of God as Jesus speaks across the, the ages to us. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us 
from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let's stand and pray. Father God, it seems odd to pray after hearing you teach us about prayer, but we so much need to know more deeply how to pray. We need to know how to more deeply understand. We need to know how more deeply we might draw to you in relationship. So God, teach us and apply these things. Show us the exact things you need, each and every one of us, if there's something that would distract, uh, move it out of the way. If there's something that we really don't need, just move that out of the way. But God, show us the thing that I need. Show us the thing that each of us needs. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We turn the page into chapter 6, and uh, chapter 6 opens with a focus on religious hypocrisy. I mean, that's what these... these uh, few uh, sessions are about here. Uh, Last week, we talked about this. We talked about beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. We talked about how there's lots of things included in that. It, it, It can be prayer. It can be worship. It can be giving or serving, all sorts of things. But if we practice them, and some are going to be in front of other people, right? Yeah. But if we Practice them in order to be seen. If we're trying to be seen, what I'm really doing is, well, I'm wanting you to look at me. Well, then we will have no reward from our Father who is in heaven. You've gotten all the reward you're going to get. And it implies there's a whole lot more reward to be had. And so um, I think I could put it in a little bit different way. Beware of substituting the vision of being perfected in Christ for the dream of having others hold us in high esteem and think we are perfected. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a bad deal. It's a cheap substitute. And so we don't want to get into that. Jesus gave uh, three, I call them the vital specifics. We have vital statistics. These are the vital specifics, meaning they have to do with life. For every Christ follower... And they're in these uh, passages that we're looking at. When you give, and when you pray, and when you fast. And you should notice the operative word in all of those is what? When. It's not if. It's not if you like. It's not if you think to. It's when. There, well, there's an expectation. But, but more than that, there's a connection that's so valuable for us. These are all part of the life of a Christ follower. None of them is optional. So a believer, we say, well, I'm a believer, who does not give, pray, and fast, doesn't really believe. I mean, that's the only conclusion I can come to. And and a Christ follower who does not give, pray, and fast does not really follow Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul, he put it this way, pray without ceasing. And that was really kind of a radical thought. Because in Judaism, they had ritualized prayer. You prayed at certain times. You prayed certain prayers. 
I had this come so clear to me uh, a number of years ago. We were in Jerusalem, and we went to a place called the Temple Institute. And that this is the group of people who are preparing all the things that are for the rebuilding of the temple someday. That's their whole thing. Their hope is to rebuild the temple and have everything ready. And they work and work and work on it. And we were on a tour. It was amazing. We were seeing all these preparations and the things that are going on. And a woman was taking us, a young woman. You know, she was maybe 20 years old or something or, or early 20s. And we were going around with her. And we started to ask her some questions and things. And she was very politely answering. And and. One of the people asked her, well, where do you pray and what do you pray? And she was just kind of baffled because as we had a little more conversation, she, she became very un uncomfortable and she shared with us, I, I, I don't pray in my own words. I, I don't pray in my own thoughts. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pray for something that I want or that I need. And we were all kind of like, oh my goodness. How can you love God so much and, and miss this part? And so Paul was really rather radical in saying, pray without ceasing. We need to have personal times of prayer that do not cease. And so personal prayer is vital. And really it is the key to so many things. So many of the things that we struggle with, it, it relates back to personal prayer. I would say that one who claims to be Christian, who does not pray is declaring themselves to be in a dysfunctional relationship. If you say, well, I'm a Christian, but, but oh, but I don't pray. Or I'm a Christian and I don't know, I just never learned to pray. I don't really like it. I'm kind of uncomfortable with that, so I don't pray. It's a little like saying, well, I'm married, but we never talk. I mean, it's exactly what it's like. It, it, I, I have a covenant relationship, at least I'm telling you that I do, but I don't ever talk to her. Or I don't ever talk to him. And, and we kind of live our separate lives. And we're on opposite ends of the house. And in, well, of course, if I need something, why then, then I communicate. So what you're saying is, you go to the other end of the house and you shout, food! And then walk away. How does that go over? Or lawn mowing! How does that work for you? And in a way... We can drift into that in our prayer life where we just are sort of distant and silent until we have a desperate need and we shout food or we shout whatever the thing is to God. And that doesn't make any, that's not a relationship that has much function in it. It's, a, it's really a very dysfunctional relationship. So Jesus is going to tell us a little bit about how. And it's really about how you give and pray and fast. And in each case, the, the main focus is uh, you're not to be like hypocrites. And, and that word we studied it last week is hypocrites. Let's say that again. Hypocrites. Say it with some vigor. Hypocrites. And, and it literally means stage actor or mask wearer. So this is a lot of the focus here. Let me just stop and say... We're all hypocrites. Why do I say that? Because we all have times when, when we want to look a little better than we know we really are. Amen? We all have times. Sometimes we've messed up and we just don't want anybody to know. And we all have times when we, when we put on a happy face and it's not really happy on the inside. 
are we are mask wearing? And, and what we really strive for is to be genuine and transparent, and we can't always be that. So people who say, well, I don't think I want to come to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites, they say, come on, there's a bunch of us. Right. Amen? So, but, so we need to know that and realize that. But Jesus focuses on this, and it's really a, a lifelong growth with him. Jesus tells us not to pray in two specific ways that relate to this. First, he says, do not pray like the religious mask wearers. Now, that's from the PJV version, Pastor Jeff version, okay? I'll publish it someday. But that's a really accurate, exact translation. And he says, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. There probably is precedence for the certain times of year, the festival times of year, special times of, of day even, when they might go out and be seen praying. And these were not personal prayers. These were prayers by rote. These were ritualized prayers that they were that had memorized and that they were saying. And they wanted to be seen by others. I want to be seen praying on the corner, and truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There may be some reward in that, but that's the end of it. These were probably eloquent prayers. And the scribes and the Pharisees loved this. They loved to be seen. They loved to perform publicly. Uh, they loved to be heard. Jesus uh, talked about it in Luke uh, chapter 20. He describes it. He says, beware. It's another beware text. Watch out for this. Beware of the scribes. Who are they? The scribes were the experts in the law, and they were the ones who copied the law. They knew all about the Bible. They knew all about it. Really, really proud of it. So they could, they could tell you the interpretations of the law. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and, and love greetings in the marketplaces. Oh, Rabbi, I see you. I greet you. And the best seats in the synagogues, and, you know, if they had theaters, it would be at the theater, but they probably didn't go to the theater. Uh, and the places uh, of honor at feasts. The, uh, they want to be honored. I, wanna, I want people to see me and notice me. And rather than making prayer and, and building and teaching prayer as this vital link uh, for an individual and God, they had turned really to religion, and these religionists had turned it into an act to be seen. It was something to demonstrate. Suppose I'm more righteous. Look at you. Can't you see how righteous I am? And their prayers weren't directed uh, toward God, but they really were directed toward men. And, and they were. And you may have heard. I mean, I had someone recently tell me, and it, they said, Pastor Jeff, I love to hear you pray, and and it was a a flattering sort of comment. But then I thought about it. It's not ever my goal for someone to love hearing me. I, I hope that it was a time or those were times when I led you into a place of closeness or a communication with God. But you know, some of us grew up in a time when, when prayers were carefully crafted. When I was in seminary, I was, I was taught to spend an hour on every minute that you preach in preparation. And in prayer, I would spend an hour to prepare a three-minute prayer for Sunday. I had one prayer I said on Sunday at the second service. And it was about a three-minute prayer. And I would write it out. And it would take me an hour because I didn't want it to be the same thing every week. And I would very carefully craft it. I wanted it to sound good. And you can get caught up in that. 
And there are times in our Christian history when we've gotten caught up in that. Now the point is uh, that, that Jesus was not trying to condemn public prayer. But rather, any prayer that is done to be seen by others when it becomes a performance or an act. You know, if Jesus were forbidding public prayer, then clearly the early church didn't understand that because they had public prayer all through the New Testament. It was very much a part of the, of the bursting movement of Jesus. But any time that our prayer becomes sort of a spectator sport or a theatrical presentation, then we're missing the mark. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. Have you ever found yourself in a prayer circle thinking about what you're going to say when it comes around to you? Okay, I see. Instead of joining with the person who's singing, who is praying. I remember the first church that I was serving on a staff. Uh, we had a staff meeting. There were about 10 of us and we prayed every week and we prayed around the circle. And I remember that some of them were very eloquent prayers. There's one guy, and he would say the most eloquent prayers. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Well, what can I say? You know, and then somebody else would pray, and they would pray for something that was on my heart. And I thought, well, they got that. Uh, you know, stole that from me. <laughs> See, you know what I'm talking about. And so Jesus is saying, don't, don't be worried about what you're going to say. Don't be worried about that sort of thing. Um, D.A. Carson is a, a commentator that I, I really like a lot on this part of the Bible and, and others. He suggests that we ask ourselves three questions. Do I pray more frequently and more fervently when alone with God than I do in public? That's the goal. That's the goal. And do I love the secret place of prayer? Or do I love the public place of prayer. And I realize some of you would say, the public place of prayer terrifies me. <laughs> um, is my public praying, when that is there, simply an overflow of my private praying? That's a, a good prayer life. So Jesus, he said, I mean, this is Jesus, and this must have been radical in that time. Instead, go into your room and shut the door. You want to know how to pray? Go into your room Go into your prayer room, wherever it is, get alone and shut the door. Your deepest and most powerful communication will be alone with God, unseen. Go where you are unseen. It's a place where there are no distractions. Well, I don't know. My mind gets distracted, but there's less distractions. And there's no worries about what other people are hearing or watching or what they're going to say or not say. And there's no temptation to impress other people. And the truth is that a regular uh, time of prayer like that, a regular quiet time, we sometimes call it with God, may be the most powerful tool in your Christian growth. I know when we arise in the morning, I get up really early. Pastoring sleeps a little bit later than me. But when we get up, we don't talk to each other for a pretty long time. She spends time alone with God for a pretty long time. And I spend time alone with God for a pretty long time. I get up and, and nowadays, first thing I do is a little bit of exercise. And then I pray. And sometimes I found the best way for me to pray is to walk around my house in circles. In my house, there's a, there's a, I can walk a circle. There's a good flow. <laughs> and uh, the dog is kind of puzzled <laughs> with that. 
So, but, and just pray for the things, pray for the people, pray for, you know, there are many things and God puts them on my heart. God puts the things, there are so many needs. We are in a season of great need. There are many, many things to be praying for. Amen. And second, he says, and this is another not, and do not heap up empty phrases. Now, this is an interesting part of the scripture. When you pray, do not heap up, (laughs) what an image, empty phrases as the Gentiles do, uh, for they think they will be heard by many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. He knows what you need. You don't need a whole lot of words, actually. Now, I read this and I thought, well, how can I not pray like a Gentile? I am a Gentile. I mean, I think I have some Jewish blood, but... um, The King James says, do not pray as the pagans do. Uh, And he he wasn't talking about the God-fearers who were among them. He's talking about non-Jewish people. Don't pray pray like those folks uh, who had converted to Judaism. Uh, This is sometimes translated, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. I think that's the next slide. The NIV translates it, do not, tra- do not uh, babble on. What, what, do not babble on. I mean, I've been in some places where it, it sounded like a brook. It sounded like some babbling that was going on. And the thing is that in the pagan religions, they would babble on. The, the word that is used there, that, you know, that Jesus used here is batologeo. Batologeo, okay? And it means to repeat tediously or to stammer repetitively. He says, you don't need that. You don't need to say things over and over and over again. There's other parts of scripture that say, you know, bring, bring your request again. But you don't need to say the same things over and over again. But let me also say, repetition can be powerful. And, and, and part of it is because uh, we find comfort in words and phrases that are familiar. And so in the history of the church, there are things that we've repeated until we, we, we memorized them. I remember when I, uh, when I was a youth pastor and I was hiring uh, students, college students who applied for a position on our summer staff years ago. Um, I had you know, a questionnaire and it said, what do you believe? Write down what you believe. You know, seems like a really good question if you're going to work in the church. And, work. and I remember so many times that um, the, the college student would write, just word for word, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. You know the words. Many of you do. And they, that just came out of them, and the reason was because they had repeated those words uh, many, many times in church. And so repetition can teach us things One of the difficulties is, when does that become empty? Now, as a child, and that's why I put that up there, that's not an actual picture of me, all right? Pretty close, though. (laughs) But as a child, you know, we recited creeds and prayers and uh, various liturgical parts of worship uh, each week. I don't know about you, but, you know, uh, on a really regular basis, Basis, I would acknowledge and bewail my manifold sins and wickedness. Do you remember? Any, do any of you remember that? Raise your hand, please. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. 
which we from time to time most grievously, grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. I was, you know, like in fourth grade saying these things. And I thought, well, I had a bad week, but not all that bad. I mean, did anybody think this from time to time? Um, and, and, and saying that, that I am not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table um, and, and things like that. I'm just going to make a confession, an honest confession. We said the Apostles' Creed, I think, every week for, you know, years and years. And uh, I, just, I just decided I would start counting the S's in the Apostles' Creed. And the reason is, if you have about three or four or five hundred people saying the same thing together, it's really cool when they come to the letter S. Did you know that? Yeah, it's a hiss sound, you know. It's really cool. I won't make you do it. But did you know that there are 13 S sounds in the Apostle Creed? Did you know that? There are. Unless you went to the, one of the other churches and there's 14 because they descended into heaven as well. Or descended into hell as well. Okay, I thought it was funny, but... <laughs> But liturgy and repetition, it can be powerfully meaningful, but it can also become an empty repetition. And we want to be careful of that. And let me just say, to be very, very fair, liturgy can become empty and so can praise choruses. You know, I mean, I used to have a lady and it just must have annoyed her a lot because at the end of the service, she would come up and tell me how many times we sang one chorus. Did you know we sang that chorus 14 times? I didn't really count, no. But repetition, we need to be careful that we don't allow repetition, no matter how meaningful it is, to become empty over time. So Jesus calls us and he instructs us um, to pray like this. And I would call it with intentional focus. And he's going to move into this thing that we call the Lord's Prayer. And what he was doing was he was teaching a pattern for focused prayer. And, and he, he did not say, pray this. I looked. In the Greek it, sa- it says, pray like this. I got curious. I mean, isn't it good when your pastor learns something? What does that mean, that word? It's hutos, and it means in this way. He says, pray in this way. He says, pray in this manner. He says, pray after this fashion. That's what the Greek means. And he did not say, pray these words over and over. Now, I know some of you are ready to stomp out. (laughs) Is it okay to pray this prayer? Absolutely. Is it okay to pray it over and over? Absolutely. But we don't want to come to a place of emptiness. And so that's why this is really better called the model prayer, I think. Some, some uh, refer to it as the disciples' prayer. It's not really the Lord's prayer, um, because the Lord wasn't praying it. He was teaching the disciples, which is you and me, to pray in this manner. And it was likely a pattern that he taught many times, that Jesus taught a lot. I mean, we find it in Luke chapter 11, and it's different. It's the same pattern, but it's different. It uses a few different words. And so he probably taught on many occasions. They said, "Uh, can you teach us more about prayer? And he said, okay, I'm going to teach it. Pray like this. And this was a pattern. And he, he was saying, start this way. Start with the name of God. Hallow the name of God. 
We could do a lot talking about this. Hallow the name of God. It's not the next slide, I think. Okay, there we go. And in 9b, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And hallow is a strange word because we don't use it very much. I mean, I didn't, I, I wrote it, I was working with it, but you probably didn't use it today. It's the Greek word hagiadzo, okay? Hagiadzo. Say that with me. Hagiadzo. And it means to make holy. How can I make God's name holy? Well, I make it holy in my life, in my mouth, in my heart, in my mind. It means to purify. How, how do I purify the name of God? Well, it really purifies me. But I'm going to set it apart. Consecrate it. I'm going to set it apart only for holy use. I'm not going to use it in vain. I'm not going to use it in emptiness. I'm not going to throw it around as this casual thing. Hagiazo means to set apart, to venerate. So Jesus was saying, before you go anywhere with prayer, honor and reverence the name of God. And there's a lot we can study about that. There are all these names. I think we have a, a, there are a bunch of them up on that banner on that side of, of our worship center. But honor and reverence the name, the names of God. And, and realize I'm standing in that power. I come in the power and holiness of your name. That's a great way to start. Uh, this is uh, the grounding. So, so it's not just, oh God, I'm, I'm really, I'm upset about this and I'm upset about it. Just, no. I'm, I come in, in the holiness of the name of God. I mean, that's pretty simple, but, but that's a lot different than just kind of whining and saying, I've got a lot of bad things going on in my life. Isaiah 8 says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Wow, your dread. It means we need to recognize he is that much bigger than me. He's that much more powerful. He's that much more important than me. And so I, I'm going to value and stand in that. I mean, a, a good question to ask in terms of our prayer is, have I grown casual or complacent before God? Have I, have I grown casual with his name? The second thing he says in this pattern, in this model, is to pray for his kingdom and his will. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's say that out loud together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you hear the S sound? Okay, just checking. All right. It's a big picture prayer. It doesn't start with the little things. It starts really big. Uh, it, it's, it recognizes the power of lifting our eyes and our vision and our heart up uh, above all the things. How many of you know there's a lot of things to worry about right now in this world? And we need to, to lift and to pray uh, for the arrival of the kingdom. Your kingdom is what we need. Do we need some political leader in a part of the world to die? What we need is kingdom to come. Amen. And thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what this is about. And so we lift our hearts and our eyes beyond the urgent stuff, the minutia stuff of today. And beyond that, we say, I pray that this day will look more like heaven than yesterday did. How about that? 
And that you will use me to bring that about. Let's read that out loud together. I pray that this day will look more like heaven than yesterday did. And that you will use me to bring that about. It's not just saying I'm praying for something out there and then I'm going to walk away. And then there's this other thing that you may have seen from time to time. If you pray for his will to be done, you must be willing for your will to be undone. See, they don't always work together, do they? Yeah, no, they don't. It's really nice when they do. But sometimes I have to say, thy will be done, and it means something I want really, really bad, I'm going to have to turn loose of. And and I may not even know why. And there's more of that, you know, than I would like to, to recognize and admit, but that's the truth. And then we pray for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's, let's read that out loud together. Give us this day our daily bread. Did you hear the S's? We get a count on this. So you pray for, now you pray for what you need today on a daily basis. And that's really kind of hard for me because I look at some things and I look out and I'm thinking about where the stock market's going, investments are going. I get kind of worried about that. I'd like to pray about that. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. Worry about this. You have what you need today? Yes, sir. <laughs> I do. And so we pray for, for the daily needs. That's the way God provides. He provided manna in the wilderness on a daily basis. It's just amazing. 40-year lesson in trusting God. I'm going to give you what you need each day. Well, could I have a little extra? No. What if I take a little extra? It'll rot. and There'll be worms in it. You won't enjoy it at all. Some tried. <laughs> well, what about that Sabbath thing? Well, I'll give you extra on the day before the Sabbath. Now, trust me. Now, trust me. That, that's so, so what God wants us to learn. And, and in terms of bread, what is the bread? There's lots and lots of bread, but Jesus is the bread of life. He declared that. So you may need physical bread and physical food and physical provision, uh, you, you may need financial provision, but you know, on a particular day, you may just need wisdom and understanding. You ever get up and, and just say, I don't know what to do about this situation. I do not know what to do. I need some daily bread in the, in the wisdom department. It may be strength. I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. It may be healing. It may be comfort. Jesus is all that I will need today. So I'm going to pray for all of Jesus Don't you want all of Jesus that you need today? That's a good prayer. And then pray for forgiveness. Now, a lot of times I've been taught you need to pray for that sooner because you need to get that out of the way. It's not where Jesus put it. It's a little down the the road. Pray for forgiveness and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. How many of you grew up in a debt and debtors church? How many of you? Okay. Okay. Only a few. How many grew up in a trespass and trespasses church? Okay, all right. Because there's two versions of that. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. But let's just say it out loud. Let's say what's here in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Let's say it again. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lots of good S's in that one. Um, and the Greek word is, is different from trespasses. It's of um, and it means things owed. For, forgive me the things I owe, the, the debts that I owe. I mean, it's really literal. It's a financial sort of a term, the things that are due 
the faults that we may have. In Luke's gospel, it's a different word uh, that's recorded as sins. Hamartia. Say that one. Hamartia. So, and that's translated trespasses. So which one is right? Depends on which church you went to. It, both are correct. Okay, both are biblical. And both, both are general and specific. Both of them talk about, forgive me my sin nature. The fact that I have a bent toward or a bent away from you and heal that, oh God. But also, for, I'll list them. Okay, I, this I messed up. This I got wrong. I know I did that bad. Just ask him to forgive you. And then pray for protection and deliverance. And lead us not in, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's, let's say that aloud. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And they go together. It, it's a way of saying, uh, keep me protected from enticement to sin. It's probably the best way I could say it. it how, how many of you know that God doesn't tempt you? Bible says it. God doesn't tempt you. So you're not saying, God, don't tempt me. There's some tests along the way. All right. That's a, that's a different understanding and a different word. But lead us not into temptation. Keep me protected from enticement to sin. And, and then, um, and we want to understand that God is not evil and he does not tempt anyone to sin. It's in James chapter 1. It's a prayer Oh God, lead me on the right path. How many of you have had trouble finding the right path? And sometimes we just don't consult God. And that's how we get on a wrong path. Psalm 5 says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. I want to know the right way to go. You know, a way that you can understand this, if you ever go to Israel, it's marvelous because there are paths around every mountain. You'll see these paths that go around and they, they look like somebody dragged a rake across. And it's, these are the pathways that the shepherds have led the sheep around the right way. And the prayer is, lead me on the right path, shepherd. Get me on the right path. Because the wrong path is really bad. It leads to stuff that's going to mess us up. Teach me your way, O Lord, Psalm 27, and lead me on a level path. So it's a straight path and a level path. Why? Because of my enemies. There are enemies and adversaries out there. Psalm 139, and see if there be any grievous way in me. Look inside of me and lead me in the way everlasting. Look inside of me. This is such a powerful prayer. I mean, you may pray everything else and say, okay, I think I'm done, but is there anything I missed? Is there something that's grievous to you, God, that I need to fix? Would you show me what that is? Reveal that to me. And then, surprisingly, we're going to pray for the grace to forgive. Now, it's not stated in a prayer form. But what Jesus goes right on to say is, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You need to understand that, he says. Forgiveness that we receive is always tied to forgiveness that we give. It's tied. You don't earn forgiveness, but they're tied together. And part of that is because we cannot give what we have not received. 
He said, I've got it all for you if you'll receive it. And you say, I want all that, but I don't want to forgive that person. Then you didn't receive it. Why can't I forgive that person? Because you didn't receive it. Why can't I have enough to forgive that person? Because you didn't receive it. You don't know how wide and how vast and how long and how deep my grace, my love is for you. So you need to take hold of that. We cannot receive what we're not willing to give. There's a whole parable about that in Matthew 18, about the unforgiving servant. Now you might be saying, oh, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff, that's not the way I learned to end that prayer. Where's the part about the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever? Amen. Where is that? Did anybody think that? Okay, yeah. I did. (laughs) And, And so I want to explain why. The King James Version of the Bible contains that ending. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's in the King James Version, 1611. Um, but it's not in the oldest manuscripts. And so most of our Bibles have a little asterisk, or it might put it in parentheses, it might tell you that. Hopefully it tells you that. Um, And we have to remember, you might say, I love that phrase. How many of you would say, I love that phrase, for thine is the kingdom. I sung it. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. But one of Jesus' points was not to get caught up in majestic phrases. Don't get caught in why that's not there. And certainly, you can pray it, I can pray it, we can pray it. So what is the word on prayer that Jesus gives to us? And the first, most important thing is, do nothing to be seen, but only to connect with God. That's what it's all about. Whether it's public, whether it's private, whether it's without ceasing, whether it's walking around in circles, whether it's at uh, the Western Wall in Jerusalem, or wherever it is, do it. Not to be seen, but to connect with God. And then number one is pray. It's, it's, it's when you pray, not if. And pray in secret. Learn how to pray in secret as well as in public. You know, pr- uh, praying in public is a good thing. And, and being prepared to pray in public is a good thing. If somebody said, would you pray? It would be good to just, and how do you do that? Just stand up and start talking to God. We could do a little class on that. And pray with intentional focus. That's what that pattern is all about. So the question of the weekend is this. How's my prayer life? Because I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone that said my prayer life is perfect. Um, I know some people that I would suspect that. I mean, I know some awesome prayer warriors. And I think most of their prayer is stuff I don't see and even know about. Uh, but I know I need more, and I need deep. So, let's pray. Father God, there's a whole lot that I don't know, a whole lot that I don't experience, a whole lot that I need, so much that I, I need more deeply in my life. And I know that it, it is anchored and it's rooted in prayer. So God, teach me, show me, Deepen me. Show me the path. Show me the right path. Show me the straight path. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And if you don't have the little uh, communion kit, uh, Mike has them. If you need one, just raise your hand and wait till he gets to you.
praise God that he gave us a way to connect in prayer and uh, with the cup and the bread and that we can rejoice and, and recognize and communicate here among us with communion the depth of his love, the depth of his grace. And so let's do that. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father God, I thank you that you were so willing to give so much. We rejoice in that truth and we give thanks for this way, this connection of remembrance and faith. In Jesus' name, amen.